0: Joshua 24, verses 14 through 27. Joshua said to all the people, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served, which were beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people answered and said, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, is he who brought us and our fathers up out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the peoples through whose midst we passed. The Lord drove out from before us all the peoples, even the Amorites who lived in the land. We also will serve the Lord for he is our God. Then Joshua said to the people, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after he has done good to you. The people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen for yourselves, the Lord, to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. Now, therefore, put away the foreign gods which are in your midst and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey his voice. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made for them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God. And he took a large stone and set it up there under the oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. Joshua said to all the people, behold, this stone shall be for a witness against us, for it has heard all the words of the Lord which he spoke to us. Thus, it shall be for a witness against you so that you do not deny your God. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad you're here. Um, It's a nice warm day outside. You could be doing something else, so thanks for coming. Good to have you here. You know, it's easy to be a critic, isn't it? That, don't you get that? At least it's easy for me to be a critic. I'm naturally critical. Um, it's easy to be a critic. It's, it's harder to be sympathetic. Um, it's easy to be judgmental. It's harder to be charitable. That's just sort of our nature. I know it's especially mine. And so whenever I come to a passage like this, or I think in large terms about the Old Testament and the people of Israel, it's really easy for me to get critical and judgmental very fast. Why? Because God calls the people to follow, and they don't. And I want to criticize. God throws down all kinds of miracles to prove himself, and they forget. And I want to criticize. God just lavishes blessings on them one after another and then they complain and walk away and I want to criticize. But you know the problem with that is if I'm honest and I read the story before long the story starts to look like a mirror I'm in it. I'm them. That's why it's so easy for me to be critical. And I would imagine for you as well. You know, when Joshua stood before the people, they were about ready to go into the promised land, he laid down a challenge for them. He said, here's your choice. You can serve the Lord your God, or you can serve idols. Up to you. Choose this day who you're going to serve. And they said with one voice, we're going to serve God. And it wasn't, Hardly months later before they began to drift. Certainly years. They drifted and God would chastise them, punish them for walking away. And the way he did it is he just let the people around them who were going to oppress them anyway, he just sort of pulled back his protection and let the people oppress his people. And then they would cry out to him and they'd say, We got to get out of this mess, God, we're going to serve you. And he'd say, Okay, I'll roll back the curtain. I'll put the wall of protection out there again. And they would serve God and then they would revert back to evil. And the cycle goes on and on and on. It's the story of the book of Judges. We've mentioned that before. It's the story of the book of Kings. It's the story of these people that we're going to be looking at throughout the rest of the summer. But before we focus on just one of those stories, and there's many, I wanted to focus on the whole. And basically I wanted to say this. You know what Joshua's challenge to them was that day? It was basically a challenge called faith. Joshua was saying, here's your challenge. It's a challenge called faith. Believe in God, believe his promises, and follow him. That's a challenge of faith. The challenge of faith is is enormous. And one of the main reasons that Faith is a challenge is because God is demanding of us or calling us to follow Him and He's invisible. Come on, follow me. You can't see me. Come on, follow me. I'm mysterious. Come on, follow me. It's the only way to live. It's going to feel like death sometimes. Come on, follow me. I'm the invisible God of the universe. Are you kidding me? That's a challenge. That's tough, isn't it? Of course it's tough. And it's especially tough if all around you people are serving gods that are tangible, that they can see, and quite frankly, they can manipulate. And that's where the people of Israel were living They were living in this place called Canaan, and around them, all the people were serving a variety of gods, all kinds of gods, a whole bunch of them. Matter of fact, there were the celestial deities, there were the deities of the land, the ones in the lowlands, the ones in the mountains. There were deities for everything you wanted. I mean, you got a problem, we got an app for that. I mean, a deity for that, right? That was the line. Basically, whatever you need, I got a deity for that. If you have this need, I got this deity for you. You pray to that deity to get this. You pray to this deity to get that. The deities were not only very, very accessible, they were tactile, tangible. You could hold them in your hand. Now, they may not have believed that the thing they actually held in their hand was a god, but it represented a god. It was an idol. And they would take the idols with them. They would travel with them for good deity luck. So you could take these idols with you. You could have your gods on site. You could look at your God and pray to your God. It was all right there in front of you. And, of course, there's a problem with that. Your God could be captured as well. And that happened routinely. When a civilization was beat down, they routinely took their gods with them to prove that your god is not as big as my god. You see, this is the world they're living in, in a world of gods that are very, very tangible and gods that you can handle and touch and see. Okay, so get this. Into this world, God speaks the Ten Commandments and says, I want you to worship me and And me alone. Now that's a challenge. Because you see, there was nothing wrong with having multiple gods. As a matter of fact, if one was good, two was better, and three was great. And nobody cared. And it didn't seem like the gods were necessarily competing with themselves, with each other. Well, you might have some of that in Greek mythology, but for the most part, the deity of the mountains when you're in the mountains, the deity of the valleys when you're in the valleys, the deity of the rain when you need the rain. Does the word pantheon ring a bell? Many, many gods? Just bring them all in. God comes to the people and says, I want you to worship me and me alone. And you can't see me. And furthermore, I want to reiterate the importance of you not seeing me. I don't want you to even make a graven image, I don't want you to make an image that looks like anything that's divine that reflects me. Don't make images that make you think that I'm that image. No graven images. And furthermore, I'm a jealous God. Remember that phrase in the passage? I'm a jealous God. That means I want you to want me and me alone. No more gods. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because everything around them told a different story. You might say, well, that's not really my story. I don't live in that culture. Well, think again. You probably do if you dig a little deeper. But besides that, let's let's pass by the multiple gods that maybe you say do not exist in your culture. What's the challenge of faith to you when God says, follow me, the invisible, mysterious, unseen God? The challenge to you and to me is this. We are trained as very small children to be suspicious. Don't talk to strangers. Watch out for the bad guys. As you get a little older, read the fine print. As you mature even more, be suspicious of the person because people will betray you. The whole culture that we live in and our disposition says you don't trust what you cannot see, you don't trust what you cannot prove. And God walks into that arena and says, I want you to trust me, the one you cannot see, the one you cannot prove. And follow me and me alone. That's a challenge, isn't it? A challenge of faith. It was their challenge and it's ours. Second challenge I notice of faith is this. Faith is continuous. What I mean by that, it's a continuous challenge. You know what? You don't get a Ph.D. in faith, right? You don't even get a certificate for completing a course in faith. You don't get anything like that. Why? Because it never ends. Why? Because you're never qualified as an expert. Because God, at the next turn in the road, is going to challenge you again. Over and over again. I want you to think about Abraham for just a minute, right? We talked about Abraham a few weeks ago. Abraham, you know, the father of faith for so many people. Jewish, Islam, and Christianity. Look at him as a high father of the faith. Abraham was called by God when he was 75 years old to leave a place to go somewhere where he didn't know where he was going, and he was given a promise that through him, his very body... God was going to bless the whole world through a child that he was going to give him a son. Abraham's 75 years old. You know when the promise is fulfilled? Remember the story? When he's 100. 25 years he waits for the promise. Talk about a continuous challenge to faith. Are you serious? Do you remember many of the episodes where God had to say it all over again? Abraham, I promise I'm going to do it. Abraham, let me renew the promise because I know your faith is waning. I'm going to challenge you one more time. Will you keep following me? I know it's been 10 years. He didn't tell him there's going to be 10 more. And then five more. He just gave him a little bit of faith. And he challenged him to follow again. And a whole bunch of times while Abraham was following God, he absolutely screwed up, right? We know that. One of the best examples of it is when he went to Egypt with his wife and he lied and said, It's not my wife, it's my sister, because he was afraid that God couldn't protect he and his wife against the king who was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh takes Sarah into his harem. Remember that story. And then God shows up and lets Pharaoh know what he's done. And Pharaoh goes to Abraham and says, Are you kidding me? You put me in harm's way from God? I didn't know she was your wife. You know what, folks? He did it again! You think he learned? Absolutely not. He learned in the moment. Faith is continuous. It continues to challenge us repeatedly, even in our mistakes, because he repeated the exact same mistake with a king called Abimelech. You would think he'd have gotten it by then, right? No, because faith... Continuously challenges us. And part of the continuous challenge of faith is routinely God's timeline. We expect that when He promises, He's going to come through when we think He's going to come through. And He never comes through when we think He's going to come through. He promises, and then He says, Follow. You know, sometimes we look at Abraham, the father of faith, and we think, that was an amazing man. Look at all those times God revealed Himself, just came straight out of nowhere, and confirmed the promise, and talked face to face with Abraham, and on and on we go. And then, then we begin to extrapolate that great people of faith are those people who hear from God all the time. And we forget to think about the historical narrative. Take a look at Genesis. I don't know how many times God talked to Abraham face-to-face, but I do know the episodes that are recorded when God talked to Abraham face-to-face are sometimes ten years apart. In thinking about this, I ran into a quote that I just loved. Listen to this quote in relationship to what I just said about Abraham. The quote is this God's voice comes intermittently, not in unbroken chatter, but in episodes of speech punctuating seasons of silence. Translation Don't expect God to speak to you. All the time. Expect God to create large gaps of silence where you have to follow when you cannot see and you cannot hear. People, I think, like us, want to put us in that category who expect a new word from the Lord all the time. I'm beginning to believe are more like children or babies who always need the bottle and not like adults who understand gaps between meals. God won't show up on your timetable and that's a challenge to faith in the silences. Keep following because God is there. You know, maybe we need to have um, a shift in our thinking about what faithfulness is. Maybe faithfulness is people who follow and don't hear that often, but they keep following. That could be you, right? It's what you're called to as a person of faith. So one of the challenges of faith is this: this God is invisible. And he's mysterious, and it's like you can't find him half the time. And he says, follow me. Second challenge to faith that I see in the life of these people and in my life is that God's challenge of faith is continuous, like with Abraham, just over and over and over again with great big gaps between promises. A third challenge of faith, and and I want to focus on only three. There could be many more. A third challenge of faith is this. Faith requires humility. At the very base of it all, it requires humility. Why? Because if you accept what you cannot see and follow a God who really is mysterious, who you cannot see, and believe an invisible voice concerning the most important things about life, when everything about your intuition says that's not the way to go, If you're doing that, if you're following that God, there's a huge challenge in front of you. It's the challenge to be humble enough to say, I don't have it figured out, so I will listen to an invisible God. I will follow the mandates of a God who seems to require of me more than I can do. Who seems to require of me things that don't necessarily make me happy. I will follow that God. I will humble myself before the sovereign God and say, God, you know best, and I'll follow you. You know, that happens every day too, right? But sometimes, in big, epic moments, it seems... God asks you to follow him, and your following makes you look foolish. Foolish to your friends and to your neighbors, and you even feel foolish to yourself. That's the challenge of faith to follow God when it humbles you. There's a great story in 2 Kings. I I just love this story. I guess none of the guys who are preaching next are going to use this story because I'm going to ruin it for them. They can't use it. It's the story of Naaman. Okay, Naaman is a general in the army of King Aram. He's a mighty man, a victorious warrior, and basically he's kind of like second to the king. One of the campaigns that we, he was on captured uh, some people in Israel and one of the people that was captured was a little girl and the little girl was given to Naaman this general his wife as a servant so Naaman has got an Israeli slave girl as her servant and she serves the household of Naaman Naaman one day realizes that he has a dreaded disease the cancer of the day, shall we say, it's leprosy. There's no cure for it. There's no way to get around it. He's tried everything. He doesn't know what to do. And the little slave girl, isn't this ironic? The one who was taken into captivity. The one who has no rights. The one who has to serve her master even if she doesn't want to. That one, I i got to tell you, I look at the story And I see Jesus in this little girl. This one, who laid down her rights and is a slave, says to Naaman, actually to Naaman's wife, I I wish my master would go back to visit a prophet in Samaria. Basically, go back to my hometown. The place from which you took me. If you'll just go back there and speak to this prophet, I know he can heal Naaman. Well, Naaman's at the end of his rope. This exalted, prosperous, very pompous general says, Okay, I'll take the word of a slave girl and I'll go. So he asked the king, Aram, Would you give me permission to go back to Israel, Samaria in particular, to be healed of my leprosy? It's interesting the way the story plays out in the Old Testament. It seems like the king kind of gets things mixed up a little bit. He doesn't ever include Elisha the prophet, he just sends a word by letter to the king of Israel. And he tells Naaman, go ahead and go. I'm sending this letter. You go ahead. You can be healed. The letter arrives at the king of Israel. And the king of Israel reads the letter. And the letter says this. I'm sending Naaman, my general, to you so that you can heal him of leprosy. And the king of Israel goes, oh my gosh. I can't heal people. Who he think I am, a god? I can't touch this man and make him go away. What? He's just toying with me he's playing me and then he's gonna strike me he's a mess and the prophet elisha hears about it i don't know if he lived close enough by to hear the king wailing and moaning but he heard about it and he sent word to the king of israel he said tell him not to worry just send the general to my house 4723 Donington drive come on over No, that's where I live. Don't come over for healing there, for love. The point is, he says, send him over here, because I will show him that there's a God in Israel that ought to be served. So Naaman, with his entourage, he has this huge entourage, he goes to Elisha's house. He comes riding up to Elisha's house, probably on a white horse, with all the stuff around him, and he stands there waiting for Elisha to come out. And Elisha doesn't even show up. He sends out his servant. He sends out a servant to the general who could destroy his nation. And says to the general, "Um, my master Elisha said, go down to the Jordan River and wash yourself seven times and you'll be cured. Naaman goes ballistic. He says, are you serious? Do you know you're talking to I expected at least he would pay me a personal visit. He would honor me in that way. He would show up and tell me what to do. He sends out a servant, and he tells me to go dip in the Jordan River. Are you crazy? We got better rivers back home. It's like somebody saying, Lake Monroe ain't nothing. I live by Lake Michigan. I'll go back and wash there. That's a good lake. Naaman is belittling everything that Elisha told him to do. And he says, I'm not about to do that. And he turns with his entourage and starts to head home. You know what his servants who are wiser than him do? They say, sir, we have a question for you. If the prophet, if the prophet had asked you to do something really great, wouldn't you have done it? Whoa. Let me just take out a saber and slice your heart and put it right where it hits the spot called pride. If you'd been given some big assignment, you'd be there, wouldn't you, Naaman? And he's stricken. And he says, yeah, you're right, I would. So I'm going to humble myself. I'm going to go down to the muddy Jordan River and I'm going to dip seven times. And he does. He does humbled by all the trappings around them, kneeling in the water by those who serve him. I would imagine he took off his general garb and went in naked. And he came out clean. Faith requires humility, and that's a huge challenge because we're prideful people. Even when we hear from God, we think we got rights. <laughs> Even when we hear from God, we expect it ought to come a different way. And it doesn't come a different way. It comes in a way that's through a servant. It comes not directly from somebody important. And it comes in assignments that are really menial and unimportant. And that's a challenge of faith because it's humility. Humility. Those were three challenges of faith. I think that the people of Israel faced every day, and sometimes pass a test and sometimes fail. But here's the thing about faith and us: in spite of the fact that faith is challenging, it's absolutely necessary for life. No way. I'm not. I'm, I'm just talking about spiritual stuff yet. We'll get there. I'm talking about just real life. You have to have faith in your spouse that he or she loves you. You to have faith in your children, children and parents. You've got to have faith in friends. You've got to have faith in neighbors. You've got to have faith in superiors. You have to have faith in people all the time in order to function in this world because relationship requires faith always. Relationship always requires faith. So, why should it be any different with God? You want to be in relationship with God? Well, first of all, you were called to be. You were made to be in relationship with God. I don't know what you think you were made for, but I'll tell you this. At least one thing is sure. All of you were made to be in relationship with God. And there's only one way to be in relationship with God, and it's by faith. And God calls you to step into that relationship And face these challenges of faith. And that's where you find life. There's one other comment I want to make about faith before I just say something about us. And it's this. Sometimes we describe faith as a leap into the dark. I I think it's different than that. I think of faith as, as a step into the light. Why? Because all of my life and all of yours... You trust your senses, right? Have they ever failed you? Well, I've been a few times. But you keep trusting them, right? You keep trusting those senses even though they failed you. You trust yourself. Have you ever let yourself down? I would imagine. But still you trust yourself. You trust. The list goes on, right? Over and over again. You trust in things and people. They let you down. And as it relates to things that are of the five senses, what do we routinely do when we want to know the deeper realities of life? Think about science or any other venue. We go past our own experience, the things that are personally in front of us right now, and we go behind the five senses in order to see the deeper reality of life. We do it all the time. And that, my friend, is faith. Faith is not a leap into the dark. It's a step into the the light. When you exercise faith, you deepen your understanding of the world around you. The reality that looks absolutely clear and mysterious all at once, that reality becomes more understandable by faith. And that's why God calls us to it. Because he knows all things. So here's the question at the end of the day. If this is all true, and faith is a challenge, if this is all true, and faith is absolutely necessary for life, if this is all true, why not just trust God? Why not? I I ask that of three people. The first person who might be here today, I ask you, why don't you just Trust God because you never have. You've heard about God, but you've never made that step of faith. You've never humbled yourself enough to say, God, I can't see you, I can't prove you, but I believe you and I'm going to follow you. Maybe you've never done that. For God's sake, do it today because you're gonna step into the light when you do. Maybe you've already done that, like most of you probably have. But uh, your faith gas tank's running out, right? Faith is such a challenge that you're just worn out. You feel like you've trusted as much as you can trust and you just don't know if you can trust anymore. Why not trust again? That extends your faith. You know when you're involved in physical exercise? I'm doing a lot of that trying to stay young even though I'm old. I run, I lift, I cycle. And here's what I know. Is that when I'm reaching the end and the hill just seems like I can't make it anymore, if I just stay at it a little bit longer, I get up over the hill. And I can coast down the other side. When, When I'm lifting the weights and I'm pushing really hard and just one more rep is all I need, sometimes when I get it in, I can do two more. When I'm running those half marathons, and I do a lot, my mind's spinning, I'm thinking you're too old for this stuff. Why are you doing this? And I just push a little further and I not only make it, but there's a certain amount of, well, it's kind of like euphoria, I guess. A second wind, an energy that didn't seem like it was in the tank. It's because I just took the next step. So maybe you're there and it's like you're at the top of the hill but you can't feel like you're going to make it at all. Just do it. Just take the next step. Just trust God again. Do it one more time. And often that one more time is all you'll need to move to the next phase of your life of faith. Or maybe you're not there, right? You're not there in terms of depleted faith or you're not there in terms of no faith you're there in terms of a person who has followed god for a long time you're not really depleted but god is thrown another challenge in front of you and you're saying to yourself god not again i'm old or i've been at this a long time why do we have to do this again can't we just make it easy now and god says no here's the challenge take the step I I don't know what it is. I guarantee you you're thinking of something. Maybe not all of you, but some of you. And you know God's pushing you to take the next step. Take it. You've got the energy. You've got the experience. Don't say no. Just take it. Because faith is a continuous challenge. It never goes away. It's life. You know, of course, one day um, it's not going to be necessary. Remember that epistle that Paul wrote, famous section in First Corinthians 13? He talks about faith and hope and love. He says at the end of it all, uh, they're not going to be necessary. Well, not all of them. Hope, you won't need it anymore. You'll be in the presence of God. Faith, you'll be at the end of the road. You'll no longer need faith. You're in the presence of God. Stay with it, my friends, or take the first step. The first step, the second step, the 100,000th step of faith. Because someday, you won't need it. You'll be absolutely in the presence of God where nothing matters but love man. that's gonna be a great day huh <laughs> an awesome day and until that day here's the challenge walk by faith let's pray God you've been so gracious to give us pictures of people who walk by faith and not only those ones who walk by faith successfully but those ones who were just failures and then you showed us that those failures were picked up by you. They weren't abandoned along the road. They, they weren't neglected. You may have chastised them. You may have in some way punished them. You may have just upbraided them and give them a lecture, but you give them an opportunity to walk again. Lord, I'm sure there's someone here. Um, who's down. They've been beat up by life. They've had expectations um, concerning themselves and maybe expectations concerning you that were unrealistic. You didn't promise us a rose garden. And they may be angry. And they may feel like they just don't have what it takes to take another step of faith. Lord, Right now. Give them faith. Help them to say yes one more time. And for those uh, who need to say that yes one more time, we we give you thanks that you'll do that if they'll listen. And for those who've never taken that first step, Lord, make this the day. That they say, "I, I can't live life without faith in the real world. So why should I try to live Life without faith in God. And help them to take that step of faith. To say, invisible God, creator of me. I believe in you. I will follow you. Give me faith. And we'll thank you for that. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. please?